0: Greetings, Northern Hills Bible Chapel. It is good to be able to share this word with you. I wished I could be with you in person, uh, but uh, as the times being what they are, I'm grateful for this opportunity to share this uh, recorded sermon with you. Um, So let me pray for us as we uh, jump uh, into God's word. Father, would you come and would you open your word to us? Would you, by your Holy Spirit, teach us And transform us, Lord, as we hear a word that um, is from you to us. Protect us from the enemy as we come before your word, and would you speak clearly to us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I pray. I'm going to be reading uh, from Matthew chapter 4, but I'll start in Matthew chapter 3 a few verses earlier uh, in verse 16, and this is what the scripture says. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. I want to start by asking you this question Are we destined to repeat the mistakes of our ancestors? Are we destined to repeat the mistakes of our ancestors. If you think of a family, um, whether it's parents, grandparents, or great-grandparents, if there is uh, alcoholism in that family, uh, there are, you know, many problems that it creates in the patterns of abuse or neglect or not taking responsibility for one's actions, um, the liquidation of the resources to feed the addiction, and all these things causes all these problems for Uh, children and how they are raised in the home. And then when they become adults, uh, the ways that that addiction has affected them and what they then pass on to the next generation. And even for uh, children of alcoholism who had parents who are alcoholics or other types of addiction, there are ways that there are studies that show that, that that family, that family member is more prone then to pick up that addiction potentially in their life. But you don't just have to look to something as extreme like alcoholism to see that there are things that get passed down to us from our family. Good things, many times good things that we get if we have a nurturing home and parents with with good values, share those things with us. But there are also cycles uh, and patterns of of pain, of greed, of, of poor life decisions that affect succeeding generations. And it raises the question, Are we bound to the fate and the faults of our ancestors? If you believe the Bible story of creation, that the whole world is collectively one family, and all of us are descendants from the same parents uh, who made that tragic choice in the garden to disavow their creator and to to sort of redefine right and wrong for themselves and and say that they had the best view of of life and the way to live it. And that tragic choice ultimately led them to lose uh, access to God in the garden, but most importantly, the presence of God. And death entered the world. And we're all uh, a part of that. Choice We're all connected to the choice of our first parents and the ways that we live, and the imperfections and mistakes that we make because of that first mistake that was made in the garden. But even if you continue to to follow the story of scripture after Adam and Eve, the nation of Israel. Uh, repeats the same mistakes of their first parents. If you read through uh, their story, every ruler, every king, every succeeding uh, generation uh, repeats the broken patterns um, and poor decisions of their ancestors. Is humanity the, the scriptures sort of raise this tension for us throughout the as you follow it? Is humanity doomed to the fate of their ancestors? These same broken cycles um, of our parents. This this tension this question is the backdrop is the context is the frame when we come to this very familiar but really fascinating account in the Gospel of Matthew, that Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil himself. And you can't understand the relevance of this story without feeling the tension of this context, of this, quest- of this question. Are we destined to repeat the mistakes of our ancestors. So as we look into and as we dive into this text, um, I I hope that uh, this question would be at the forefront of your mind, this universal question, really across geographies, across history, across cultures. People ask this question, feel the burden of this question. Um, And as we look at this story, we're gonna see parallels, really powerful parallels between Jesus Um, and others in the scripture. So let's dive into this text, and we'll look at these. Um, We'll take them one at a time, these three temptations or these three tests of Jesus, and I pray the Lord would speak to you as we do that. So Jesus is led into the wilderness. He's just been baptized, and he's led alone into the wilderness by the Spirit. He fasts 40 days and 40 nights, and then test number one, the tempter or the devil comes to him, And says, you know, if you are the son of God, turn these stones, something you cannot eat, into bread, something that would nourish and satisfy your hunger. Essentially, the devil is challenging Jesus to prove himself, to prove his identity, if you are the son of God, by what you do. Prove himself by what he can do, and he's appealing to him at the level of his human desire for food or what um, the disciple John later says in 1 John chapter 2, he talks about the lusts of the flesh, the physical human desires that we have for sleep and food and intimacy, um, those are the lusts of the flesh. And the devil is appealing to Jesus at the level of uh, his fleshly human desires use your power, turn these stones into bread, validate who you are by satisfying your hunger. And if Jesus were to do this, he will be, he would have been endorsing the narrative, which is ultimately a lie, but endorsing this narrative that who you are is what you do. Who you are is what you do. The focus is on your performance to define or redefine who you are. And this is one of the most common ways we try to find our identity. Your success, your educational accomplishments, your job status, your resume become your identity. Your press release that you send out into the world becomes who you are to describe yourself. Commonly in universities, right? The get to know you question in college campuses is um, you know what's your name, but then what's your major? What and what do you want to do with that? That becomes the way college students introduce themselves and define themselves on campus. This is who I am because this is what I'm studying and this is what I plan to do with it. If you are something validate it, prove it show me by what you do. The truth is, though, that this narrative creates lots of problems. Our value does not come from our output or our press release. And if we look to how we work or what we do to find our identity, then hear this, then all our success is simply a chance to stave off feelings of worthlessness, stave off feelings of I'm not enough. If we look to what we do to define who we are, then it's just simply a chance to stave off feelings of worthlessness. Because if I don't perform, if I don't achieve, I'm nothing. It's really an unstable way of living because either you try really hard and you fail, you don't live up to your expectations for yourself or other people's expectations for you and you constantly feel depressed and low about that or you try really hard and you succeed and then you constantly feel anxious trying to keep up for fear of falling behind and losing your identity. It's unstable trying to live this way. The great news is, is that who you are is not what you do. And it is not what your ancestors have done or failed to do. Our first parents, were tested in the same way. Jesus's temptation here in the wilderness parallels Adam and Eve's temptation in the garden, and he's sort of reliving their story in this uh, account. He's reliving the story of Adam and Eve because the scripture says that Eve saw the fruit when, when when the devil came to her and said that uh, you know, you will not surely die if you eat of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. And Eve saw that the fruit, was. the text tells us in Genesis 3, that the fruit was good for food. Even though God had told, God had told them, Adam and Eve, you can eat of any fruit of the garden. You're free to eat of any fruit. But if you eat of this fruit, you'll surely die. And Eve saw that the fruit was good for food, what John called the lust of the flesh. It will satisfy your flesh. They did not listen to God's words. Do not eat or you will die. And they took and they ate and they failed. They failed. Israel jesus is reliving israel's story right when it says it's it's no accident that it says in the text that jesus was fasting 40 days and nights when israel was in the wilderness they were in the wilderness for 40 years it's a parallel it's making the original reader think back to israel in the wilderness and when they were in the wilderness they were hungry And they said that they ate better back in Egypt when they were slaves. And again, it's the lust of their flesh. We want to eat right now. And they grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And so Moses goes to God and God says, I'm gonna rain down food from the sky. Like literally it was cloudy with the chance of meatballs, like the movie for 40 years. God is raining down manna from heaven. And God gave them particular instructions, you know, don't take too much, like you'll have enough for that day. And on the sixth day, take double the amount on that day because it won't rain on the seventh because that's the Sabbath and I want you to rest. But they did not listen to those instructions that God had given. They didn't listen to his words, his good words. And they took more manna than they needed and they failed because they were led away by the lusts of their flesh. But Jesus responds, reliving the story of Adam and Eve, reliving the story of the nation of Israel. Jesus now in the exact same place responds, man, people, do not live on bread alone on satisfying the desires of their flesh. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Our first parents failed. Their children failed in the wilderness. All of us and all of our ancestors have failed. Jesus succeeded. Jesus succeeded. And did you catch it? Um, God had spoken Just 40 days earlier to Jesus at his baptism, he had said when he was baptized and he came out of the water and the text says that the the heavens opened up and the voice of the Father came and said, this is my son. And the first thing that Satan says to him after 40 days of fasting, if you really are the son of God. It's no mistake that Jesus says man does not live on bread and low, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He's living off the word that he's just heard from his father 40 days earlier. This is where we find our identity, in the words, in the speech, in the tongue, from the mouth of God, not in our performance, our resume, or our press release our educational accomplishments, not in the lusts of the flesh or what we accomplish. Where all our ancestors and us fail, Jesus succeeded. That's test number one. Test number two, the devil uh, takes Jesus to the holy city, which is Jerusalem, and has him stand on the highest point of the temple, and he says to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down. He's not got a harness. He doesn't have a parachute. This is like a very dangerous, risky situation. Throw yourself down, for it is written, and he quotes, the devil quotes from the Psalms, and he says, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. It's really important to note the location where this is happening. Jesus is in Jerusalem, Holy City, the place of the center of religious and cultural uh, life for the nation of Israel. And he's at the center of that center, which is the temple. And he's on the highest point of the temple. So if he were to jump off, there would have been a crowd of people there who are coming to worship at the temple who would have witnessed this pretty spectacular Uh, miracle. So Jesus is alone in the wilderness initially for the first test, but now he is out in public. And if he jumps, um, he would have uh, showed off, so to speak, right? The, the, The devil is tempting Jesus to start off his ministry in Jerusalem with a display of power, right? Go viral, Jesus. Become famous. Show off. Flex. Show us what you got. Make a name for yourself. Jesus was actually supposed to end his ministry in Jerusalem, not started there. And his ministry actually was supposed to take a mostly secretive uh, the tone until the very end with this very public rejection and execution. Satan is saying flip the script, start off with public acceptance, with public fame. Show off your power, skip the cross maybe, and all that rejection. What would people think if you jumped and angels came and you were lifted up into the sky? To put it in kind of our words, right? Satan still says, if you are the son of God, do this. Again, it's an identity challenge. The narrative here is who you are is what people say about you. Who you are is what people say about you. So the focus shifts from what you do now to the focus is on your reputation. What are you known for? And what do people say about you? And John called this temptation the pride of, Of life, the pride of life, which focuses on arrogance and self glorification and putting yourself up. And as with the first temptation, this narrative, living this way, which is very popular uh, in our life, it's very popular on social media, it leads to a lot of problems, uh, namely paranoia and an obsession over managing yourself image, an obsession over managing your self-image. Again, Jesus relives the story of his ancestors in the garden in this moment. When Eve saw the fruit, first it was good for food, then it was something that was good for gaining wisdom because the devil had lied to her and said, you'll be like God. You'll be like God gaining a new wisdom, a.k.a. a wisdom apart from God. It was a seeking after self-glorification, and so she took and she ate and she failed, and she gave some to Adam, who also failed, standing right by her side, just as guilty, just as accountable. But... Uh, Jesus also relives again the story of Israel in the wilderness when they were in the wilderness for 40 years because this temptation and the the temptation uh, Israel faced in the wilderness uh, was slightly different than what Adam and Eve faced because when Jesus makes this comment and answers the devil with, do not put the Lord your God to the test. He's quoting something that would have made the original readers again think of Israel in Deuteronomy where they were tested, or in Exodus, where they were tested, or they tested God at a place called Massah, where they were thirsty and there was no water and they have been wandering. And so they uh, grumble again to Moses. and And the text tells us in Exodus 17 that they said amongst themselves, Is the Lord really among us or not? Now, if you know anything about the Exodus story, even if you've just watched the movies of, uh, you know, the Ten Commandments or the Prince of Egypt, and you know anything about, you know, their enslavement and how God brought them out, it was like seriously miraculous wonders in the sky, uh, miracle day after day, week after week, and even since they've been on this journey, God has been raining food from the sky. And Israel is saying, is God among us? Is the Lord among us? He's given, them, he's given them ample reasons to trust in his care and his love for them. And they knew what they were doing. They were testing the Lord Where have you been lately, Lord? Show us yourself now. It's an attempt to manipulate God into showing his love and his care on our own terms instead of on his terms. They failed. Adam and Eve failed. Israel failed in the same temptation. And for Israel, it was this temptation of who you are is what happens to you. So for Adam and Eve, if it was who you are is what people say about you. For Israel here, it was who you are is what happens to you. So it's about security. For Adam and Eve, it was about reputation and gaining self-glory. For Israel here, it was about security. How do we know that God really loves us? Who you are is what happens to you. And Jesus responds in the same place as they were both in and says, Do not put the Lord your God to the test, essentially saying, do not test God's love, trust God's love. Do not test God's love, trust God's love. And we experience this narrative in the same way. To ask ourselves, um, and maybe it comes from the world, it comes from others, skeptical of God, or it comes from the enemy himself. What has God done for me lately? Maybe not much. Or to think about hardships that you might be experiencing right now that are very real and very painful. The devil and the world tempts us to say, God doesn't care about you. That's why you're going through this. Or maybe you've messed up and you've angered God, and that's why you're going through this. Let's test the theory of God's love for you. Let's plot it out. Ask him to show up right here, right now. Ask him to do this for you. And if he doesn't, then he's not there. We can't manipulate God into loving us. And if anything, this text teaches us that we trust and we wait for God's deliverance. You know, in this pandemic, it has changed and flipped the whole world globally, upside down. Many are experiencing, just even in our own economy, the loss of jobs. Finances are tight. Um, There's been disruption in the school system. There's been disruption with our families, there's been disruption with uh, anxieties and fear are heightened when going out and when not to go out. People have lost loved ones very close to them because of this sickness, and it can feel at times like this, is God among us? Has he abandoned us? Is he for me or is he far from me? But I want you to hear this if you don't hear anything else in this sermon. If you see, look at the text, Jesus waited, did not give in to Satan's temptation to get God to send these angels and prove his love for him in this way or start his ministry in a bang in this way. Like fast forward, take a shortcut in your ministry. He waited on The Lord, and do you see what happened in verse eleven? At the end of these three tests, the text tells us: then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. The angels that the devil was saying, "Bring them now," the Lord brought them at the time of need that Jesus had for them, and the moment that was right. See, in this season, what if we lived? Lived off the word uh, from God's mouth in in, in Psalm twenty seven that says, "Wait, wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart, and wait on the Lord. We will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living." What if we lived off that word? That is from the mouth of God. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Do not test God's love. Trust God's love and wait on him to meet you in your hour of need. Once again, where all of us and our ancestors have failed, Jesus relives the story and succeeds. Test one, test two, and the final test. Test number three. Verse uh, eight, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain had him stand on the highest point and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their shiny, glimmery splendor and says to him, all this I will give to you if you will bow down and worship me. And this temptation is about compromising on our devotion to God because of the promise of possessing something of possessing something. Uh, John called it the lust of the eyes, and in our world the narrative might sound like this. Who you are is what you have. Who you are is what you have. It's not what you do, it's not what people say about you, it's not your performance or your reputation or your security, but it's about your possessions. It's about your possessions. You are defined by what's in your bank account, what's in your garage, what kind of home you have, your car, your clothes, your looks, even your romantic relationships. What Who you are is what you have. And again, very quickly, Jesus relives the story of his ancestors. I hope you're seeing this in the garden. The last thing that's said when, when Eve takes the fruit it says it was pleasing to the eye, something for her to possess. It was pleasing to the eye, splendorous, shiny, glimmering, something she could have and, 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 and possess. And she took it and gave some to Adam, and they ate, and they failed. And again, Israel in the wilderness. It says in Deuteronomy 6, this very significant word to Israel, Jesus is in the same place, but God gives this word to Israel. It says, when the Lord brings you into the land that he's promised to your fathers, a land that's large and has flourishing cities and has cities that you did not build and houses filled with all kinds of things that you did not provide and wells and vineyards and and olive groves. And then when you eat, when you take these things and you eat and you are satisfied with what you have, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And this is what Jesus quotes to Satan. It says in Deuteronomy 6, fear, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Take your oats in his name. Here's the key word. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the people around you. Israel, failed many times in this regard jesus in the same place as adam and eve in the same place of all of israel in the same place as you and i when we're tempted to possess when we're tempted not to give to hold tightly to the things that we have not to be generous not to share jesus says worship the lord your god And serve him only. What's interesting to me about this temptation and the fact that this is in Matthew's gospel is the devil offers him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. Matthew chapter 28, the very one of the last things Jesus says to his disciples, he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me what god had promised jesus was far better than what the enemy promised which seemed like this great shiny thing but the lord satan always over promises and under delivers all god always promises and we take it in but it's always way more than we ever imagined when we finally receive it. The promises of God are far more than we ever imagined. And let me close with this final word of application. Jesus relives the story of all of his ancestors and all of humanity for all time, and he rewrites the ending. He breaks the cycle of humanity's addictions and failures and poor uh, life decisions. I think the common misconception is to read this story and to think that it's meant to teach us simply how to face and overcome temptations. And don't hear me say that you can't learn that from this. Because you can, you can learn, but ultimately this text isn't about teaching you strategies or tactics for facing temptations or tests that you face from the world, hearing these narratives or from the enemy. That's not the primary purpose of this text. Be like Jesus and resist the way he did. Because again, we try, And we fail at misdefining ourselves by what we do or what we have or what people say about us. We fail constantly to resist the lust of the eyes and the lust of our flesh and the pride of life. Thankfully, the primary purpose of this story is to be news. Let me say that again the primary purpose of this story is to be news, great, amazing, good news of something that has happened in history, that someone who is like us has relived and rewrote and redeemed our story. One who offers us love, before obedience. Love before obedience. One who has, uh, just like you might think of when a family has a first generation from their family who's graduated from college. And there's this way that there's a redemption of family honor, that there's, there's something that has been given into the family because this person has achieved this. There's a connection to the rest of the family. Jesus in the place of humanity has relived your story, has walked back your mistakes and overlaid his righteousness. And the beautiful news is, is that's for you. That's applicable to you. That he offers love to you before your obedience. Did you notice? Did you notice in the text that God's words of affirmation, that this is my son whom I love and who I am well pleased, that those words come before he passes the test before he overcomes in the wilderness. He hears the acceptance, the loving acceptance and affirmation of the Father. That is what the Bible calls grace, that God's love and acceptance comes before your obedience. And when you receive it, it empowers and changes you and transforms you and motivates you to love and obey God in response. That is the grace of God. And our only reasonable response, and I'll close with this, is to surrender, to bow, to yield, to trust that if we put our trust in Christ. And are in some mysterious way now in Him or in Christ, then what God said to Jesus at His baptism is said to you and me. You are my daughter, whom I love, in whom I am well pleased. You are my son whom I love. Would you receive this in who I am well pleased? Not because of what people say about you, or because of what you've done, or because of what has happened to you, but because you are in Christ. You are my child, whom I love graciously, who I am pleased with. And you can't make me any more pleased with you in your life, but because Christ has done this and because he obeyed for the rest of his life, the the death of Jesus can work and the resurrection of Jesus can give us life because he relived our story. We can live off these words from the mouth of God. Receive the love of God this morning in the work of Christ. Give yourself to him fully today. Let me close in prayer. Jesus, would we hear these words that you heard? This is my son, my daughter, whom I love and who I am well pleased. Would you speak those down into the deepest parts of our hearts, our minds, our bodies, our flesh, our spirits, our marrows, and would it transform and change us to love you to love our neighbors and our enemy, to humble ourselves in obedient worship and service to you, and to trust your love and not test it. Oh God, we want to live off your words now and for the rest of our lives. In the name of God, we pray. Amen.